Hello and welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is your host, Kim Langling. I am so glad that you are spending a small part of your day with me and my special guest, Denise Bessart. Amazing conversation covering a wide array of topics, major technical difficulties right in the midst of our conversation, but we persevered. We persevered. You're in for a treat, folks. It's a great great episode we've got coming up for you. So please grab your cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone. This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Thank you so much for sharing another part of your day with me and my guests. Today, my guest is Denise Bossart. She is an award-winning poet, writer, photographer, and artist. She is also a certified meditation facilitator and contemplative arts teacher and an IT professional. She is also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Overcoming her childhood abuse and sharing her book, for to inspire others, other survivors, and supporting them on their healing journey is part of her mission. Denise, thank you so much for joining me. Now, just in your bio alone, wow, we could talk for several hours. I have all <laughs> kinds of questions, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me on Let Fear Bounce. It's great to be here, Kim. Thank you for inviting me. Now you are, you have just a plethora of talent and an award-winning poet. That's what I want to hear about first. So share a little <laughs> bit about that. Sure. So I've been a poet since I was little. You know, when you're elementary school, you write these fun, cute little poems. Uh, over, I could, at Thanksgiving, I'd write the mighty hunters have set out, you know, and all these <laughs> right. silly fun things. And I just enjoyed expressing myself through writing. And I eventually got involved in writing about my abuse and overcoming my abuse. And that was a really important way for me to express myself when I was really struggling to do my healing practice. And then recently, I, um, like many people, was in lockdown with COVID and overwhelmed, tremendously triggered because of everything about being unsafe and out of control and people being a danger to you. That triggered a lot of things from my childhood. And I decided, well, you know what? I'm in lockdown. It's National Poetry Month. Let me write a poem a day just on anything, at least a poem a day to set that inspiration for myself. And that's what I did. Of course, you know, when you're getting that flow, sometimes it's eight poems, <laughs> not just one, but it, it was anything that came to mind. So some of them were about my childhood abuse. Some of them were just things that were happening in the world. Some of them were short haikus about my lovely cat, whatever it might be. And so I collected those together and I actually, while I was doing it, I was posting them out every day on social media and I was making little videos that I posted on YouTube that would be images um, of related things to the poems and I would read the poem and share that out. And so I put together a, a little book that I self-published that was the listing of the poems, one for every day, and then the link to the YouTube video that people could go watch that. And so I submitted that to to a, a book contest that I had been successful in before with my dark urban fantasy novel. And I thought, well, let me go ahead and just see what people think. And it was a really overwhelming response. Um, these are people that are for judging this contest that are readers. It's That's why I love this contest, the Wishing Shelf Book Award, because they are actual readers, not some editor or some professional. And so you get a true expression from this group, whether it's a 16 year old reading it or an 80 year old reading your books. 
and they just were really in awe of the poetry, particularly how vulnerable I was trying to be about my abuse. And so I didn't win a medal, but I got a sort of honorary award of, of being open and honest. And so they gave me a red ribbon award for my effort. And so that was my award-winning poetry moment uh, was just being able to work through that every day gave me something to look forward to, gave me a way to, to express myself, be creative and deal with the anxiety. And then it was fun to share it out. That is awesome. I love that. And, you know, and I'm, I, I didn't really start getting into or reading a lot of poetry until I got older. And like you had mentioned, you know, in, in elementary school, you start writing poems. I did the same thing through elementary school and middle school and high school. I would do that. And I wish I would have saved some of them mm. to look back and, and see that journey of how my brain was working at that right. time in my life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you did um, some haikus on about your cat. I love haikus. I, I actually started writing those several years ago just because to me, they're really fun. I haven't done anything with them, but I have a little, uh, little notebook that I will mm. sit there and, you know, and I, I sit there on my fingers, you know, people <laughs> can't see, but you know, the five, seven, five, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. like doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And, and I know you do a lot of walks with your dog out in nature and, and being able to get out in nature. That's where I'm inspired a lot by writing poetry. And also Mary Oliver was a tremendous inspiration with what she wrote. So amazing what she would see and how she would express what she saw. And so that's usually what I am doing is just being out in nature and being inspired for the haiku. And like you said, you're counting the syllables right. <laughs> on, on your fingers. And I've taken some classes in it. I, some of my favorite classes are ones that combine this contemplative photography practice I do with the writing. So it's haiku photography and uh, um, haiku writing as well combined. And it's, it's a really wonderful exploration of visual experience and written experience and expressing it in multiple ways. I love that because I, I do, you know, I, I do that, I think, just naturally, you know, mm -hmm. for me anyway. And we had talked a little bit prior to hitting the record button here that we're kind of of the like mindset that being out in nature and those things that just hit you, you're able to experience it a little more than maybe a lot of folks do. Mm -hmm. to yeah, be, and, to and notice things. Being aware and allowing yourself to slow down and to just be aware and so much time that we spend is inside our own heads, <laughs> you know, that we're so busy thinking about things as a survivor for a long time I, I was really focused on the past and being afraid of the future not being in control of my life in the future and one of the things I learned was through meditation to really be present and to be open to what I was experiencing in the moment without worrying about the context of it and how I was going to deal with it, just be. And it sounds so simple, but boy, sometimes it's really hard, right? I, I agree. Let that, go. let that go. But if you can, you know, people talk about it from athletics when people are in the flow, in the zone. And I think that everybody can have this experience if they slow down and just pay attention to their environment. And sometimes it takes a pin in your hand or a camera in your hand to help you as a tool to give you a focus for what you want to do and able to be present. And, and that's wonderful because then you can express what that experience was. And when you're able to express it that way with your full self, the impact it has on those who read it or see your photography or read your poems or your books, whatever it is that you might be doing creatively, the impact it has, we'll never know. Mm -hmm. But it could be tremendous. It could, you know, someone 
that particular moment on that particular day, they read something and they can resonate with it and say, wow, that's me right now. It might get that little, you know, bump of energy and confidence that, that they may need at the time. Um, it's just so nice to talk to someone of like, like, like soul. <laughs> exactly. And, and for me, I, you know, I teach these contemplative arts because it's so fantastic to share how you can tap into these experiences and see people shift and their perspective change and things open to them and share that inspiration about the beauty you can find in the world. As a survivor, I was immersed in the crappy side of the world for so long. And this was a way to really be able to find beauty externally, but then be able to recognize and resonate internally with my own beauty that took me a long time to be able to see and connect with. And this is just a way to kind of keep that resonance going. And when I teach, I can see people making that connection for themselves. And it's just sends me over the moon to be able to, to do that for people. Um, because like you said, you just never know in that moment when people need that boost, that that ability to slow down and have some peace and, and contentment in their lives that we're so much in a hurry chasing things to try to find that. This is the opposite. This is slowing down and letting those things find you. Right, right. You know, and as um, I am, I am uh, one who lives with PTSD. So I resonate pretty much with everything you're saying right now. <laughs> And I know that it, it took me a long time, years, well over 12 years, to be able to settle. I guess that's the way I look at it. And I just found myself, and my dog was my saving grace over and over and over again, because I had to get outside. And mm -hmm. it came out. He was a big dog. He needed his exercise. So being outdoors being out in nature and I live in the country. So I see deer and possum and raccoon and pheasants and all kinds of stuff all the time. I would often see it through my dog's eyes mm. as everything was just so exciting for him to be outside. <laughs> he was enjoying every single moment. And I would sit there in the early years, you know, I'd be like, I would, I, I'd love to have the joy that he has just being outside. Mm -hmm. Why can't I find that? Mm -hmm. And then I did, <laughs> you know, and it made, that was a huge turnaround. That was a huge turnaround for me because I can, I, I often say often that being outdoors, that's where I can breathe. Mm -hmm. That's where I can settle whatever disharmony I've got going on in my mind or my soul. I can settle. Absolutely. Yeah. And settle and sink into that amazing sunrise that God's providing mm -hmm. and all those different colors that are floating through the fog. And it's like each little particle of that fog is turning into a color. It's like pink or orange and everything around you. It's almost magical. It is. And, and I agree. If, if I don't get out in nature regularly, I'm in trouble. I can really sense it. And I understand what you mean about that kind of experience trauma experience. And I am a person that had that hypervigilance, yes. always being on, always being aware of my environment, always prepared for the next threat. And it just wears you down. And like you said, couldn't feel like you could breathe, didn't feel like you could breathe. And being outside, somehow, I just, I just feel I can relax. And I like being in 
whether it's a cultured garden or particularly in an arboretum or a forest, a natural forest, that sense of me and all the things that I worry about me, it just appears into that a vast, this vast, immense space. And, but I'm a part of it. It's not like I, it's weird. You know, I become one with that space and I sort of disappear, but at the same time I get bigger and encompass all of it. And it's just, it, it's a spiritual experience for me. You know, however you label your experience with something bigger than yourself, whether it's God or spirit or the universe, however you do it, we all experience something of that, I think. And that's something to cherish. Yes. And I just love being in those kind of spaces. And my camera is an excuse to go out <laughs> and be in those spaces, you know, it's like, and then I can capture some of that and bring it home. And even if it's a little video on your cell phone where you hear the birds chirping and the winds blowing and, you know, you can bring that back for yourself and have that at your fingertips at any time when you need to take it a time out for yourself, you can yeah. you know, have something to look at or, or watch. That's a real self-care practice that we can do for ourselves. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, is this woman my twin? Because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, everything that you are saying, I have tried to explain to others mm -hmm. of how being out there, and I too, in the evenings, in the springtime, because after when he, I'm in Northwest Pennsylvania, our winters are long, cold, mm -hmm. and dark. Mm -hmm. I struggle during winter because there's no sound. The smells are gone, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm outside and there is tremendous beauty in winter, don't get me wrong. But when spring comes and I start hearing those peepers at nighttime, mm -hmm. I have actually sat, I have a screen porch and I've sat out there and recorded on my phone, the peepers just putting up their symphony on those mm -hmm. evenings when they get super loud. And I literally just sit there and smile. And I've, I've recorded that so I can listen to it in the winter time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just what you were saying, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I've done this. I've, I'm not the only one who does these things. Yeah, hey. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, too, suffer, you know, here in I'm in Houston. And so we don't really do winter necessarily, but we have a lot of cloud coverage. I was really surprised when my husband had moved here. I thought, oh, southern part of the states, it's going to be sunny all the time. Well, no, not really. And so I actually had to buy one of those lamps that has the full spectrum thing. So I use that quite a bit every morning. I turn it on when it's, you know, crack it on when I get up to be begin my routine of yoga and meditation and walking and all the stuff that I do. I turn that on when I'm in my office slash art room because I need that sunlight to mm -hmm. be, be there. And it's amazing to me how a sunny day can just, whoo, I am just ready to go really energized in cloudy days. I'm like, okay, where's my lamp? Where's right. my lamp? <laughs> you know, Katie, you're great. You're really helping mom out being here. Husband, love you for your encouragement. But I, you know, whatever it is. And I, you know, I think that we were evolved to be outdoors. Human beings were supposed to be outdoors, scavenging and hunting and all the stuff that we did way back when. And now that we're confined in offices and houses, and if we don't get out, there's something missing for our souls. And whether you can do like you said and get your little peepers recorded. I love the birds and the peepers. I totally get what you're saying. Whatever it is that can give you that boost and energize you. And you know, for me, in, in talking about my abuse experience and the things that I've developed, I tell people, well, those are things that work for me. You can try them, but discover what works for you. 
that's really what we want to see when we're talking to people who survived trauma is what is it that brings you joy? What is it that lights up your life? Can you do more of that? Can you make time for more of that? Because that's what you need right. to connect with and bring more of that in your life. And remember that you had it once. It's still there. Sometimes in the midst of that darkness, that's what I call it, darkness, you have to dig down through all that muck mm -hmm. and say, you know, oh, yeah, I did enjoy that once. I used to enjoy mm -hmm. that, you know, and mm -hmm. you just have to pull it. It's like fishing. You got to reel it in. You got to mm -hmm. reel in and because it's still part of you and you can, you can enjoy those things again. Mm -hmm. Now you said that you are, well, you, you've written your haikus and you have your YouTubes and all that. Do you have a book out? Yeah, I, I recently self-published a book about my abuse story, but it's really a self-help book because it's about what I did to heal. So I, I mentioned doing all this poetry um, that was part of my healing process. I did that when I started doing yoga because yoga just really touched into all those body memories and emotions that I had stored in my body and really started releasing them. So that's when I started doing the poetry about my abuse and healing. And at the time, my husband's like, honey, this would be really helpful if you shared this. And this was years ago before you could do self-publishing and, and all of that. And I was like, who's going to want to read a bunch of poems about abuse? I don't think that's going to you know, be something people want to do, even though it wasn't just about the abuse, it was about the healing. And I was like, yeah, and I love you, honey, but that's just not something I think I could do. And as part of my recovery from the trauma, I learned a lot about PTSD and trauma and the impact of trauma. And I realized that I am one of those people that I don't have access to a lot of memories. It really being in that kind of traumatic experience when you're that young really screws up how you can form memories and how you can access memories. Mm -hmm. um, they know that now from studying the brain. And I'm just one of those people. I have some very graphic, vivid memories of my childhood abuse, for sure. And um, I have found out from other people in my family, they were abused by my grandfather as well. And I just couldn't see how I could write a memoir out of that. You know, I don't have it. And particularly, I can't put the abuse experiences in the timeline of my regular life. I know by how small I was, what age I probably was, elementary school, early elementary school is when it started. And it went on until he died when I was in high school. So I have sort of bookends, but you know, putting this happened at this time in my life, I, I can't do that. But eventually, um, I kept that in the back of my mind. And then I heard about Dr. Larry Nessar and all the women and young girls he had abused in his position as the Olympic doctor. And my heart just cracked open. I thought, oh my gosh, these poor women. I just totally understood what, what they could be going through. And something inside of me, some inspiration came through and said, you could help people like this. You've got a story of healing, not just a story of abuse, but a story of healing. You have done so many different things that you've brought together. I didn't have a blueprint when I was going through my healing process. There wasn't something there that could guide me through things. And I said, well, why don't you write a book that you wished you had had that would help people? And so that was my inspiration. And I started writing that and the structure of the book is really, you, you do learn about my story because that gives you context and understanding of what I went through. But uh, the majority of the book is about the different things that I did, yoga, meditation, nature, expressive arts, et cetera. And in each chapter, what I do is I uh, ask the survivor who's reading the book to answer some questions, to journal 
And so I'll guide them through how to find a therapist if they haven't started their healing journey. If they've already been on their healing journey for a while, I give them different things that I've tried, like I, I said with yoga and meditation, et cetera, and encourage them to explore that. And then in the next part of the book, I ask them to sit down and really start asking some hard questions that I think people need to go through. So who knew what went? Right. Should you confront your abuser? Um, who should you tell? How do you share with your partner? Again, giving my experiences with those things and then asking questions to guide journaling. And then at the end is the last section where I bring in those poems that I wrote so many years ago. And I share those both to give another view of my experience of my healing process, but also as an example of how someone might be able to express uh, their experience and work through their experience through journaling. And throughout the book, again, it's my sharing of possibilities and inspiration. And it's not just that for survivors, I'm hoping that people who support survivors, families and friends, mental health professionals, that they'll also read the book so that they can work through and figure out what is going to work for me. Like right. I said, what's your joy? What, what's your important to you? And I don't ever tell people, this is the 30 day journey and you're going to be healed right. <laughs> you know, at the end. Of, you've talked about it yourself. It's, it's years of work. It's hard work. It certainly is. And there's no guarantees, but my book is an effort to inspire people to give them a blueprint, whether you're just starting, whether you're sort of in the middle of things, male or female, I just really want it to be an inspiration to people to help them see the potential of healing and to help them work through how that healing might manifest for them. So what, so is it, the name of, what is the name of your book and where can people find it? Sure. So it's called Thriving After Sexual Abuse, Break Your Bondage to the Past and Live a Life You Love. And it's available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, Apple, wherever people want to get it. And it's available as a, an ebook as well as um, a paperback. So you can get either one. Awesome. And it's a book I imagine people could, you know, revisit. You don't have to work through it in, in a sequential process. You can jump around in the chapters. You can come back when you're ready. And I really think that the journaling I'm asking people to do is really helpful because healing's not a linear process. And sometimes it feels like you're moving backwards. And, you're, you know, you've gone so far and now you're moving backwards. That's frustrating. And there can be a lot of shame and guilt and, and anger around that. And if you have a journal that you've kept, whether it's through my book or on your own, you can look back and see how much progress you've actually made. Right. There's, you know, like you said, even when you're writing your poetry, you look back and you saw a change in growth. So that's what I'm hoping is people will to use the book ongoing um, for their own process. I absolutely love the concept of your book. Um, and how you had mentioned that you can go back to it, people can refer back to it, because each day is different for everyone, and each person's healing journey is different. Now, I have a question, as you were talking about this, because I am going to be hopping on Amazon as soon as we're done and get myself <laughs> a copy. Have you ever considered doing a book for younger people, for children? That's interesting. I've never thought about that. That, that, it, it would be a tough one. I think it would be yeah, a tough one, but yeah. if done in the right way, there's so many children in the same situation that, that you were in mm -hmm. going through years and years. If there was something for them to look at and realize I'm not alone, mm -hmm. 
And there may be books out there like that. I honestly don't know. But as you were talking, I just had this picture in my head coming up of, you know, a 10, 11, 12 year old mm -hmm. reading something because those years are so, oh, they're so formative. Those years, if something like that is happening, will literally change your life and how you look at things. And mm -hmm. I, I don't like the picture in my head that I get of, of children growing with nothing but darkness and bitterness and hatred in their hearts. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it's going to make life really, really hard. When you said that, I just, oh my gosh, my heart was like, oh, wow, what an idea. I know there are books out there for kids. I'll have to explore that a little more. I don't know how many are like what you said for the healing process. More is about working with kids around being safe and that sort of thing. But that's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I have a couple of artist friends that I've done some work with. Uh, one, one artist has been working with me and my husband on some children's books about our cat. <laughs> You know, but this, I think this would be a wonderful thing to explore. So I, I really appreciate your question and you've inspired me to consider that and start exploring that more because I can see a real value for children to, from their perspective, how can we share with them inspiration, honor and respect their experience, validate their experience, but at the same time, let them know that they're not alone and there's ways to connect. With, right. Uh, with and on things. their level, you know, mm -hmm. on their level, mm -hmm. uh, it's not just, you know, adults telling them you need to do this and you should do this and you should just let this go on their level. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I don't know. There's a picture in my head of actually, it was a little boy that just popped in my head mm -hmm. sitting, looking at a book, crying, realizing he wasn't alone. So, oh, wow. That's, that's, my, that's little, powerful. my little nugget. That's my little nugget I tossed to you today. Okay, I'm going to run with that. It's going to take, th this is one that's going to be something I'll process for a while, but I'm really inspired by that. So I'm going yeah, to. Yeah, it'd be a tough, it'd be a tough thing to do. I mean, that's. Well, heck, I, you know, we're survivors, we're thrivers. We do tough. That's right. <laughs> yes, right. That is darn right. We Bring do it on. Tough. Let fear we do bounce, tough and right? we do it well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's an awesome inspiration. I'm, I am connected with uh, some psychologists and psychiatrists uh, through various things that I've done with my book. So I can certainly find a resource who would be a child psychologist to really use them as a sounding board to make it be age appropriate and um, be appropriate in a therapeutic way. And then I have my artist friends. So this could be a really fantastic collaboration. To oh my goodness. Yes, it could. And mm -hmm. your photography, including mm -hmm. your, you know, wow, geez. <laughs> no, I have to, I have to admit that was a brilliant idea. That is. <laughs> and I will give you full credit in the dedication part of the book Yay. as the inspiration for it. So yeah. All right. So I, I've got lots of projects planned this year, but I'm going to start putting that. What I like to do with these kind of ideas is give it to my subconscious, offer it to the universe. And I say, okay, I'm setting an inspiration that I want this to manifest in some way. And I'll let things kind of process for a while. And eventually that creative energy finds a way to yep. make things happen. So that's, I that's do the same thing. I, I write it down, my idea book. I have my idea book and I'll put the, and then I always, I'm always saying, I let it simmer for a bit. Mm. Marinate. Let it simmer. Marinate. Yeah. Yeah. And if I go back and look at it and, it and it's not hitting me as it did when I first, I'm like, all right, well, maybe that's not the direction I'm supposed to go. Mm -hmm. But then something always follows, you yeah. know, 
Yeah, I like to let things simmer. So you had mentioned that, okay, you do photography. What the, the course, you said there's a, a course that you teach? Yeah, so I, I teach a contemplative photography class and I'm certified to teach this in a, a couple of what we call levels. So the first level that we look at is really breaking things down to their basic photographic elements, color, surface, which is texture and pattern and light. We work with all those elements and it's really not about the camera. What we're really trying to do is get in a certain mind space. This practice comes out of the Eastern contemplative arts like Japan and China. So there's calligraphy, the um, Ikebana flower arrangements. It's within that same space where it's about the process and the experience. And so we're trying to have a direct experience with our visual world and make a connection with that and really see things clearly without any agendas. So we're not focused on the technology of the camera. We're not focused on all the language of photography like f-stop and white balance. We let go of all of that. And any goal for taking a good picture even, we just wanna have that experience to slow down and see things clearly. And working with the individual forms, we just really get a real appreciation for what is color as pure color. So we're not looking at red fire engines. We want to see the fire engine red. What is that experience? And a lot of macro photography, obviously, because we're not worried about the objectness of things. We want the essence of the form. But it's a wonderful practice because people suddenly realize, oh my gosh, what have I been missing this whole time? Because all these beautiful things around my house, where I work, where I do my walks, where I live, you know, in the grocery store, in the barbershop, you know, in my kitchen, there's all these places that all of a sudden becomes this delightful, magical experience mm -hmm. to explore. And it's amazing to see people's responses to the fact that I have not seen my world. I haven't experienced it. And it's fabulous for me to teach it because I do the practice every time when I, I teach with my students to have that experience with them. And then we, we talk about the images. We just share our images together. We have a Facebook site that we share images and then I'll get together with the class. You know, Zoom has been great because I've been able to pull people together from Canada and the coasts and all over the place. And then we just share our images and I walk through with them, well, what was your experience? What drew your eye, what captured your eye? And then I give them just some gentle instruction, basic instruction on how to make the image stronger um, by getting closer, by focusing, whatever. Um, but it's just sort of this sharing of the experience, sharing of this wonderful, beautiful visual art. And, and we're actually doing a student show. Uh, I taught through Unity of Houston here in Houston, and we've gone through uh, several classes together. Surprise! Cheesy brief pause because there were major technical difficulties during the recording of this program. So this is just your little spot check and we will be getting on with the show right now. We are back with my guest Denise and Denise you were talking about your classes that you provide. How did you start those classes and how long have you been providing those? Um, what it contemplative Contemplative? Yeah, contemplative photography. Yeah, tomato, tomato. <laughs> that's not like, that's a hard contemplative. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? <laughs> no. So I actually learned about this practice when I was a member of a Buddhist center when I lived with my husband in Atlanta. And it they were very big in this uh, Buddhist 
line of practice on contemplative arts and did flower arranging and things. So I learned about contemplative photography and I thought this sounds really cool. So I took my first classes there and I loved it so much. I got trained in 2012, I got certified for level one and then a couple of years later for level two. And I've been teaching it off and on ever since. It really kind of hit a boom this past year with teaching because of Zoom right. and being able to do virtual and being able to teach people from around the, around the world potentially, but we've done North America, Canada, and the, the US. And so I've been teaching it through a, a couple of places. I teach it through the Unity of Houston and you can, I'm, uh, getting ready to teach one through the Shambhala Center where I first learned Shambhala Atlanta and I'm also teaching through the Unity Arts Ministry which is a nonprofit group that is really about people who have interest in creativity and spirituality it's just wonderful community and so I teach through that organization as well but I I just wanted to share this practice with other people. So that's why I went ahead and got certified to teach. And I always learn something new from people and their experiences and what happens. As you know, when you teach people, you two things happen. You learn more about whatever it is you're teaching for yourself. And you also get to see how people are engaging with what you're teaching with and how their lives can be transformed. And that's what really inspires me to share it. And I've, I've gotten so inspired this October, I'm going to be doing an art retreat with some friends and a local place nearby to do photography and various arts and labyrinth walking and meditation and yoga and all kinds of stuff together. Because I think it all fits together. It's all part of how do we reconnect with ourselves and our authentic creative expression. Right. And so many people never, they never make that connection of with themselves you know and i i'm i'm i've been working on for quite some time actually um a, a workshop for writers to teach them how to write using all of their senses mm -hmm. not just sitting and putting words on a paper and trying to hit a word count mm -hmm. you know so you set yourself a goal oh, i have to write five thousand words today to me writing you've got to flow with it mm-hmm and when I get an idea, I literally have to sit down and go and it's like, it's kind of a dump, you know, mm -hmm. I just get it all out. And then I walk away for a day or two and let it simmer. And, um, but the five senses and people have often said, Kim, when I read your stuff, even your short stories, I can feel the wind. I can feel that breeze you were talking about. I can feel that mist landing on my arm, mm -hmm. you know, and to me, that's the highest praise. Mm -hmm. You know, if mm -hmm. someone's reading your stuff and they can sink into the story, I love finding stories or poems or whatever it is that when it's written and I'm reading it and I can fall right into it. Right. And the same with pictures. Pictures can just, they don't even need words at times. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a, a photo in front of you and it tells its story all on its own. Mm -hmm. And we, as mere humans, try to put words to it the best that we can. <laughs> right, right. And that, that's why I, I often don't even want to title my artwork, you know, my, especially my photography. Because like you said, every person who steps in front of that image is going to have their own personal experience. And sometimes we are so apt as human beings to categorize things and label things. This is really what the contemplative photography practice is about, not doing those things, mm -hmm. not labeling, not judging uh, beforehand. And you know, we explore, if you have a response to an image, 
go with it. You know, even in the basic color assignment, some people say, well, I saw that color and I was like, ooh, I, I didn't like it. And I said, you should have photographed it because you had a really strong response to it. And then the judgment came in afterwards. So let's explore that. Let's open up to that. Let's see. And, and this conceptual practice isn't just about having a wonderful experience with the beauty of the world. It's also being able to observe how you are in the world. What is your mind trying to do? What stories is it trying to bring to play? What judgments is it trying to bring? So it's an awareness not only of your environment and the beauty there, but an awareness of yourself. And it's remarkable that people start to recognize that and they can express that because they're talking about how that mind game happens in reference to doing something as simple as photography. So it's a really deep, rich practice that you can do because you want to have fun doing photography, that you want to bring a more contemplative meditative practice to help with anxiety or something. But it also has some very deep experiences available to people if they explore that additional piece of how am I showing up in the world? How am I keeping myself from connecting? And it's not just with your camera connecting with images, it's all of a sudden you can take that into a broader piece of your life and say, okay, how does that work when I'm working and being present with my family, with my friends at work? You know, how does this translate from the experience I'm having now? What can I take about that mind experience and those lessons into my greater life experience? And I was, as you were speaking, I'm thinking, you know, all those things, if you open yourself up to that, it, your life does become richer and you can use that in all aspects of your life. And you explained that so very well. So as we wrap this up today, this has been just an amazing conversation and I would love to continue it again sometime. Uh, truly, I do would love to continue it again sometime. But as we're wrapping this up today, what is one thing that you wanna leave with our listeners right now that they can take with them and use as they go about the rest of their day and on into their week? Absolutely, I think that people need to realize that they have the innate human ability just to be their own authentic self. Sometimes we try to hide from other people, we hide from ourselves, and we don't let ourselves be truly just us. And I think that if people can acknowledge that they have that beauty in their soul, that they are this amazing, creative, expressive person, whether it's through gardening or baking or traditional arts, whatever it is that they can be creative in, they should continue to do that and explore that and have fun. Take some classes, you know, be brave and do something completely different for once with no expectation other than I'm going to have fun and enjoy and enrich my life and give yourself the freedom to do that, to play and to enjoy and bring joy in your life and just keep doing that your whole life. That's what this is about, is really enjoying and having fun and exploring wonderful things to do. So challenge yourself to, to open up to that and take that with you for the rest of the week and on. <laughs> yes, I agree. I completely agree. And don't let others stop you mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. your journey is yours. Don't let others' opinions or thoughts think, well, what are you doing that for? Mm -hmm. Don't let that stop you. This is your journey. You need to enjoy it and embrace it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kim. Oh, thank you so much for being a guest on, on Let Fear Bounce. This has been a true joy. I appreciate all of your time and we will, yes, we will stay connected because I have all kinds of more questions and stuff to ask you. <laughs> okay, absolutely. All right. Have a wonderful day and thanks again for being my guest. Thank you. Uh-huh.